Father, we thank you because each time we come before you in this local assembly, you have always washed us in your word. I pray, Father, that today you will do likewise. And every one of us who have gathered and those who have tuned in to listen to our service, will be richly blessed on account of this meeting. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May I appreciate our priest, headed by our daddy in the Lord, Reverend Canon Professor Chikere Anusiem, and um, his able assistant, Reverend Canon Professor Honor. I want to appreciate them for giving me this opportunity to stand here and share the word of God with us. I'm not forgetting my brother, Reverend Aniago, who is also a professor in making. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Our topic for sharing today is beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. When you are traveling on the road, when you are driving, and you see any sign, beware. What do you do? You begin to take caution. Apply your brake, drive more slowly, concentrate on where you are going. So the word beware tells us of an impending danger for us to take caution. Is it not? The same thing if you are approaching or you are coming to visit maybe your brother or sister or a friend and you, say, and you see written on the wall or the gate, beware of dogs. It's like you have an experience. What do you do? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Unfortunately, when we are studying the word of God, and we see beware, what most of us do is that we keep reading. My prayer is that after our sharing today, that when we see that beware, we should do what? Pause. Just like you will apply a break and be on the watch out so that you don't become a victim. When you see the word beware in the scripture, apply some break from today. There is something very important that the word of God and the spirit of God and the Lord himself wants to tell us. Praise the Lord. And then we take the second word in our topic, which is covetousness. What does it mean? 
to be covetous. It is an inordinate desire for power, position, or possession. It is not the desire per se, but the inordinate desire for it. You can desire as a lecturer here to be the vice chancellor, or as a medical doctor to be the CMD, or as a, a businessman to move from counting millions to billion desires. But it's what goes with it that will determine whether you are now becoming a covetous or you are still within the acceptable limit. Praise the Lord. What plays important role in defining when you have crossed the boundary is the place of God. Once upon a time, time, time. Somebody said he wants to be the president of Nigeria. And he says, it is my turn. Whether God is in it or not, it is my... That is number one thing that defines whether it is inordinate or still normal. The second one is, how do you go about it? You decide to kill and destroy and maim everybody in order to achieve that desire of yours. What we are trying to do is to differentiate between normal desire and inordinate desire. And so in that country, at that time, the man said it is my turn, and he went about it, killing and destroying in order to actualize his turn. It is no longer of God. It is no longer ordinary desire. Praise the Lord. It may not just be for power, it could be for position in any place or in terms of possession. We need a lot of money to run church. To run church is very expensive. And so we need billionaires. I was reading of this man in South Korea. At a time he had about three to 5,000 millionaires in his church. Yongi Cho, I, I hope I'm right. Is there anything wrong if everybody here is a millionaire? Nothing wrong. But how do you go about being that millionaire? Do you cut corners, take bribe in your office, manufacture substandard uh, uh, products in order to achieve it? How do you go about it? So whether it is in terms of power pursuit, position pursuit, or possession pursuit, is God still the ultimate definer? Is it the one that defines uh, what you want and how you go about it or not? Can we look at that uh, one of the passages we read? First Timothy chapter six verse ten. First Timothy six ten. Please, uh, if you're there, can you help me read? First Timothy six ten. Yes. That the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through and, 
and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. With many sorrows. Praise the Lord. There is a, this song that is trending. I hear it once and again. And the man said that the pastors told him that money is the root of all evil. And when he gives the pastor money, the, mon the pastor takes it. One unfortunate thing is that the guy is just displaying his ignorance because you quoted that scripture wrongly. Are we aware? Some of us who hear that song may not um, really find out that the man has quoted it wrongly. What the scripture said is the love of money that is the root of all uh, that is a root of all evil. It is not money that is the root of all evil. So, we need to differentiate this because sometimes, as Christians, some of us become complacent. We don't want to desire to be high in whatever area that the Lord has called us. That is not what the scripture is saying there. It is the love of it, love of power, love of money, love of position, and what does it mean to love money or love power or love position? You place them over and above God in your life. And that is what makes that desire inordinate. Are we together? So, for those of us who are lecturers here, please aspire to be the vice chancellor. We want you there. For those of you who are medical doctors, there's nothing wrong with you, you becoming a CMD or the minister for health. Or even director of World Health Organization. Are we together? Praise the Lord. So having set that foundation, can we uh, look at our test briefly to get a few things from there before we move on? Our text is Luke chapter 12. We'll be reading Luke 12 from verse 13 to verse 15. We read already from 13 to 21, but we'll just take 13 to 15. You know, today is Holy Communion, and we'll have a meeting after, so we will not be reading too much Bible. I will just explain. Praise the Lord. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge? On a betrayer over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Praise the Lord. You know, when I just became a Christian, when I read this passage, I say, But what is this man's offense? He has just requested for Enyendia, Enyendia, according to your brother. So, why, is, why was the master coming hard on him? But as I get to understand the text and the surrounding uh, circumstances, I now knew better why he needed that knock. Praise the Lord. If you look at that passage, Luke 12, from uh, verse 1, you will see that the master started by 
telling them to beware of hypocrisy. He thought about hypocrisy, a kingdom principle. He went ahead from verse 4 to teach them about the fear of God. And then from verse 8, he taught them about confessing Christ, preaching Christ. And then when he has finished, the man raised his hand. What of our inheritance? You may not appreciate it, but let me give you some, an example that will help us appreciate it the more. Let's assume that um, we invite a, 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 a preacher to come here for a weekend meeting and um, he ministered on eschatology. At the end of it, he called for those who had questions. Eschatology was a topic. Let's say Professor Nebo, one of his favorite topics. And he dealt very well with it. And everybody was quiet in, in their spirit because of the level of impartation. And somebody raises his hand and says, what are the the principle of um, um, amassing wealth. Or, what do you call it again? What's this? Thing? Prosperity. What did they teach on? Eschatology. What was the question on? Principle of prosperity. That was what the man did here. And so Jesus was not happy with him. I'm talking, I'm giving you kingdom principles. That will save your soul. And you are bringing a question of dividing your inheritance with your father. Which means all that Jesus was speaking about hypocrisy or about uh, fear of God. That one was for him. The man was interested in sharing. And Jesus saw that his problem was far more fundamental than uh, sharing of wealth. Because even if you share that wealth he will find out that his problem is still there. He will want to even grab more. Praise the Lord. And that goes to the root of what we are discussing today. How much do you value God and where do you place him with respect to that your desire that you are pursuing? Praise the Lord. And so having said that, the next thing I want us to do is let's try to answer the question, why do we take this sin of covetousness very serious? Because if you understand the danger in it, you might start taking it a lot more serious than you have ever done. Praise the Lord. The number one reason is that it is a command from God. I will be mentioning the reference uh, passages in the Bible, but we won't read them for want of time. And um, it is a command from God. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17. Now the Jews had about 623 laws. Of all this law, the Lord deemed it necessary to write down 10 and hand over to Moses. And of, all, of these ten laws I handed over to Moses, one of them was on the sin of covetousness. 
Now, why am I giving all this background? For us to understand the importance that God himself attaches to the sin of covetousness. They are in the same category with the sin of murder, sexual immorality, and all that, that as we find them in um, the Ten Commandments. And so, because God takes it serious, we also must have to take it serious. Praise the Lord. What's the second reason why we must take this sin of covetousness very serious? In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, the word of God tells us that the sin of covetousness is idolatry. And how? Because whatever you covet, you worship. Whatever you covet, you place over and above God. So in your own interest, if you want to run this Christian race and run it successfully, do not covet. Because when you do, you are worshipping that thing that you are coveting. Are we together? Praise the Lord. Where we read in, in, in first, uh, Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, told us that the love of money is a root of, is a root of all evils. The love of money, one word for it is what? Covetousness. The love of money, one word for it is covetousness. So you can rightly say that covetousness is a root of all evil. Of all the murder cases you have heard, go and look at the history. It starts with covetousness. There is something you want to get that you do not have. There is something you desire to have that does not belong to you. Or you want to get it at all costs. Or you want to get it undermining God. Go and look at all the cases of adultery, stealing. Most of them trace it. Why would a woman leave the husband and start following another man? Most cases. There is something that she wants. It may be the other way around. Why will the man leave the wife and start following other women? Covetousness. So by the time you analyze all the sins, you find out that most of them are rooted in covetousness. Meanwhile, their byproduct is the one we don't want to get associated with. If you destroy something from the root, that thing is dead and dead for good. And so, if you want to be free from most of these sins, fight the sin of covetousness in your life. Praise the Lord. If we go back to where we read at our test, I want you to take note of one thing there, verse 15. And he said to them, when Jesus was replying to that man, he did not reply to him as an individual. He replied to, he, to all of them who were listening. One of the great mistakes we make is that some of us think that covetousness is their sin. Obasaram, I've outgrown it. But you will see as we proceed, 
that covetousness does not respect anointing. It does not respect height that you have attained. And so when Jesus was addressing, one person asked the question. But when he was addressing, he addressed all of them. And I'm addressing all of us here. Don't remove yourself. Because it is a sin, as you will see as I proceed, that does not respect anointing, does not respect position, does not respect power. You see somebody, you're president for two times. You want to be president for three times. And if you succeed, you want to be president for life. They make you head of a department. You want to destroy every other person so that nobody will ever rise to become head of a department. You become a billionaire. You want to make sure that no other person around you on your community or state becomes a billionaire. So it does not respect anointing position. I remember what I read some time ago. It was many years. I, I can't remember the story, but I will just try to rephrase it. The richest men in the whole world, they gathered for a meeting somewhere in the U.S. And what was the agenda? They want to remain the richest men in the world perpetually and their children to take over from them. I think the meeting was held around 40s or 50s. I can't be very sure. But it's there in the net. After having the meeting, they shook themselves and went home. Brethren, I tell you, in the next 10 to 20 years, some of them died broke. Some of them died with all manner of diseases. By the turn of 50s or thereabout, all of them, most of them have fizzled out. So you think that by being a billionaire, one of the richest in the world, they'd be contented. They were not. Covetousness, like I said, does not respect anointing. Can we... Can we look at Isaiah 14, 12 to 14? But I will not read it. Let's, let me just, it's a passage I believe most of us. It talks about Lucifer. Lucifer was the anointed cherub. He was the head of, if, you, if I may use a word that we will appreciate, or everybody. The head of the choir in the heavenlies. He was heavily and highly anointed. When he sings, everywhere will be full of glory of the Lord. But not minding the anointing of Lucifer, a time came when he desired to be at par with God. To have all the power and all the paraphernalia and everything that goes with being God. Where he was as an anointed cherub was highly anointed enough. That's why I say it is a sin that does not respect anointing. If Lucifer is highly anointed, who was there in the presence of God could ever fall. Brother, sister, I tell you, you are not exempted from what this sin can do in the life of an anointed believer. Praise the Lord. Let he who stands take heed lest he falls. Take this sin of covetousness very serious. 
What is the other reason? It makes one insensitive to the needs of others. That's why another reason why we have to take the sin of covetousness serious. Like I said, you have power, you want to have all the powers all alone. You have money, you want to have all the money all alone. You are insensitive to the needs of others. That's what covetousness does. It also leads to unhealthy competition. Because you want to be there all alone, you are willing to kill and maim and destroy just to have it all. A covetous person disregards the will of God. He fails to remember that a man cannot receive anything except it is given to him from above. Praise the Lord. So these are some of the many reasons why we have to fight the sin of covetousness with everything that is in us. We will yet see some of the ways out. Because it's not just enough identifying problems, but also being able to identify the solutions to those problems. But before we take a a look at um, the ways of dealing with it, I want us to cite just a few examples from the scripture of people that covetousness destroyed. And that's why I warn us. Adam and Eve were made in the very image of God. There was no sin in them before their fall. And yet, Eve became a victim. He saw the fruit and said, she saw the fruit and said, it looks good for the eye and it's good for food. She coveted something that the Lord has not given to her. And she ate and gave to the husband and the husband ate also. What was the outcome of that? Paradise was lost. Communion with God was lost. Praise the Lord. And the pains and injuries and death and everything that associated, we have not come out of it even till today, except those who have received Christ into their life. Just for the sin of covetousness, that you and I are where we are today. I believe it's worth taking serious. Lot was also a victim. When the elder brother told him, let's, let's, I think we should divide so that we do not quarrel because we are relatives. Lot should have said, Oga, Make a choice now. Whatever you leave, I will take the rest. But because, like I said, covetousness makes you to want to have it all. Look at the very greeny parts, very fertile soil, and told his elder brother, this is the one I will take. Praise the Lord. What was the outcome? He lost the wife who turned to a pillar of salt. He lost all those possessions. All those things that he got from Sodom and Gomorrah, he lost all. Ended up committing incest with the two daughters who gave birth to Ammon and the brother. These people were not allowed by the law of God 
to enter into the sanctuary for ten generations. The Ammonites and the Moabites. These are the byproducts of covetousness of Lot. Are you still delidaling? Or have you made you up your mind that from this moment you will take that sin as serious as it deserves? Are you looking at the caliber of people that he destroyed in the scripture? Time will fail us to talk of David and the crisis that came to his family as a result of that one singular sin. Coveted the wife of Uriah, killed Uriah, and thought he has hidden it from God. You cannot hide it from God. You may cover your sin that no man else can see, but you cannot hide it from God. The outcome, of course, was crisis. Death upon death in his family. Ahab is not spared. He was already a king, the number one person in Israel. But he coveted the land of his neighbor that he wanted to use for a vineyard. And the neighbor said, no, it's the inheritance from my, my father and I will not give it out. And rather than respect the wish of this poor man, he connived with the wife. Laid up Trump allegation against the neighbor and killed him. And what was the result? The same way the man died was the way he died and even more horrible. Was the way the wife of Ahab also died and they lost the kingship. Praise the Lord. And so I say, wife or husband, when your wife or husband comes coveting, this presidency, I must be the president, I must be the governor, I must be the senator. What do you tell him? There's nothing wrong in being any of those things. But how do you go about doing it? And is it of the Lord? And so that's a warning for us here. Is it possible that there is something your husband or wife or son or so wants to become? Do you ask questions? When things were good, one man who worked in, is it USC or so, he retired after 35 years and was barely managing. He put his son there. The son came back within one year with a brand new car. He told him, you will not sleep in my house. Mine is from Arochku. You will not sleep in my house with this car. I worked in this place for 35 years. And under one year, and I know your salary, you will not, this, you and this car will not sleep here. And, and that was real life story. Praise the Lord. Do you ask your husband, your wife, your children, your, do you ask them, this thing that you want to become, how come? Is it of God? How are you going about it? Praise the Lord. And finally, before we move on to discussing the way forward, Ananias, a story we know about. You sold a plot of land. You could have well have kept it. You coveted it. You came and lied before the people of God and before the Holy Spirit. And what happened? The husband and the wife died there in the church. 
And again I say, to you husband and to you wife, what do you do to your husband or wife who is covetous? Do you help him or her? Or do you want to be destroyed? Look at what happened to all these people. None of them went without a serious punishment. I pray that none of us will end up this way in Jesus' name. How do we handle covetousness? I hope I'm still within time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The first step that must be taken is to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life. Covetousness is synonymous with the fallen nature of man. That is why no matter how rich, no matter how powerful, no matter how much uh, exalted in position, and you do not have Christ, you cannot, and I repeat, you cannot handle the sin of covetousness because it is our very nature. The heart of man is full of evil and desperately wicked. Any man that does not have Christ in him, you may try to live morally right, but you cannot on your own. You need Christ in your life to be able to realize this. Are we together? And so the message for each and every one of us here, you may have been in the church for decades, born inside the church, played some very important role, but you find out that you have not willingly surrendered your will, your intellect, your emotion unto God you will not be able to fight the sin of covetousness, nor indeed any other sin. Because covetousness is synonymous with the fallen nature of man. Are we together? What's the second step? You know, accepting Christ into your life is like uh, matriculating. But that doesn't make you a graduate, does it? It does not. There must be a conscious, total surrender of your life. You have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, yes. That means you have matriculated, you have been initiated into Christianity. But there comes a time when Galatians 2.20 must happen. And Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the grace of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. As long as this beak is dead, if I throw it up, it goes up. If I break it, it goes broken. But many of us are like a snake in the hand of God. He wants to bend you, you want to bite him. God wants us to be like this pig in his hand. A living sacrifice. Totally surrendered. Our will, our intellect, our emotion, our position, our money. God wants to bring us to that point of total surrender. That is when we can be usable in his uh, hand. Praise the Lord. And if you look at the secret of Apostle Paul and any other minister that you, you revere, 
who has made exploit, whether in the scripture or even in our present time, one thing that is common to all of them is a life of total surrender. Do you want to be great in the ministry, in your work, in your academics? One of the secrets is that you must come to that point where you are dead but alive in Christ. Apostle Paul understood this thing so much. And that's why he can make statements like, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Do you want to make exploits? Do you want to reach the height that the Lord has ordained for you? The more you die to serve, the more of God that you have in you. That is the secret. The more you die to serve, the more of God that you have in you. And the more you'll be able to manifest his very nature, even the more. I pray that the Lord will grant us understanding in Jesus' name. The third step is to pray to receive the Holy Spirit, if you have not. If you look at Acts of Apostles chapter 8, running from 15 to 17, first of all, what happened was that Philip went on evangelism there, and um, so many people received Christ. And after receiving Christ, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Apostle Peter heard it with other apostles in Jerusalem, they sent him. And they went, he and one other apostle, they went to uh, Samaria. And when they came to Samaria, it happened that truly, these people have accepted Jesus. They have been baptized also. But they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. I don't know if we have time, we would have read it. And so, Apostle Peter prayed that these people who have already accepted Christ will also receive the Holy Spirit. And when he laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. So you may be in a church 10 years, 20 years, you have accepted Christ. If you die, surely you will go to heaven. But you find out that the work of God will be very tedious. It will be like trying to cut an Iroko tree with a razor blade. Is it possible? And sometimes it leads to frustration in our Christian life. Everything you want to do, you find out it is with struggle. Because you cannot do it on your own. And that is the reason why many Christians are frustrated. It looks like this work of God is an undoable, is an unachievable thing. Because though they are in Christ, but they have not received the Holy Spirit, which empowers. What does Acts of Apostles 1.8 say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Whether it is power to minister in the choir, to do your work as an usher, to preach, to teach the word of God. The power, special power that comes from God, it comes. Yes, you can do these things when you do not have the... Once you receive Christ, you can begin to preach and minister. 
But it makes it a lot easier when you have received the Holy Spirit. And when you minister under as a choir, people will be falling under anointing. The same song that some other person sings and nothing happens. The same topic that you preach on and people give their life to Christ, many others will preach it and people will be sleeping. What is the difference? The anointing that comes with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to his disciple, you will be led into all truth when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's why he instructed them. He said, tarry thee in Jerusalem until you are endued with the Holy Spirit. Not that they cannot preach. Holy Spirit is so vital in the life. It's not our topic today, but I need to emphasize it. That you can't really do much. And you may live a frustrated life. And you may end up backsliding if God is not with you. If you do not have him in your life. So I beg of you. If you have received Christ and you have not received the Holy Spirit. Desire him more than your food. Desire him more than your work. For by the time you receive him, you'll find out that that work that looks so tedious and impossible, he makes it possible and easy. Because the empowerment that comes from him is what makes every impossibility possible. Praise the Lord. One more, and then we begin to pray. The first step that you necessarily need to take is to study Meditate and practice God's word. Can we look at um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 only? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 only. If you get there before me, you read, please. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Praise the Lord. He said, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What, is, what, uh, what does that transformation? The word of God. If this is not necessary, Apostle Paul would not have bothered writing to the Roman Christians to Go this step or take this step forward. If once you receive Christ, oh, you're okay. No. Remember that before we became Christians, we were in the world. Our mind and our bodies and our spirit have been tempted by the ways of the world. And Apostle Paul was giving them the way out. He said, be you transformed by the renewal, by the daily watching. That's why we prayed when we started. That the Lord may wash us yet anew this morning in his word. Be washed daily in the word of God. As you study and as you meditate and uh, as you practice this word of God, your life will be transformed into the very likeness and the image of Christ the more. Praise the Lord. So that's a calling. Have you been a Christian for years? And you still find out sin of covetousness is still there. 
You cannot control yourself. You cannot control your desire. You cannot control your pursuit and all that. I believe God that by the time we take these four steps, and the last one I'm going to talk about, we will be able by the grace of God to come out of it. And what's that one? Prayer. Prayer. There is no habit. If you're already in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, you study the word and you meditate. Pray. Pray. And yet again, pray. Praise the Lord. It is the desire of our God to answer our prayer. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. I pray that by the time we take these five steps, giving our lives, surrendering totally, receiving the Holy Spirit, studying and meditating and praying, not just the sin of covetousness, but any other sin that is eating you up can be adequately handled. Praise the Lord. And so let us pray as I hand the mic over to Avika. I would like to make a call. You have been here. You've been in the church. Possibly born into the church. But you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You cannot fight this sin of covetousness. Because it is the very nature of every man, every, each and every one of us, until we come to this point. It is only by accepting him into your life that you begin to receive every enablement, the grace, the power, the ability... To say no, not just to the sin of covetousness, but to every other sin. Let us pray. Everybody in Nigeria has come to see that God is everything. And as we have heard, one way of escaping sin and making it to heaven is that we must be born again. You want to receive Christ this morning. This is an opportunity for you. You have given your life to the Lord before and you have backslidden. You are not sure whether you are born again or not. This is an opportunity. Just raise your hand and we pray for you. I want Jesus to begin to reign in my life. You are not sure in your heart that if Jesus comes now you make heaven. Just raise your hand. I'm seeing your hands. Raise your hand so that we pray with you now. It's a wonderful opportunity. Begin to pray for yourself. Begin to pray for yourself and say, God, forgive my sins. Ask God to forgive your sins. Ask Jesus to become your Lord. Ask Jesus to become your master of our prayers. In the name of Jesus, Amen. I want all of you to say after me, Lord Jesus, I have heard your word. I believe that you died on the cross 
You died for me. Forgive my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and make me your child. Lord Jesus, make me born again today. In Jesus' name.